Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos in for Alexis Madrigal. Public schools across California are rolling out new state math guidelines after years of development, revision, and controversy. State education leaders approve the guidelines this summer and say the framework focuses on instilling, quote, big ideas in students beyond basic math skills. The new framework aims to improve math test scores at a time when only about one-third of students meet state proficiency standards, and it's meant to help more Black and Latinx students students excel in math. But critics worry the guidelines could hold back more advanced high school students and put too much emphasis on bringing social justice into math lessons. That's all coming next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in for Alexis Madrigal. Like many parents across California, I breathed a sigh of relief this week when I dropped my kids off for their first day of school. Let's be honest, it's nice having them back in the classroom and on a regular schedule. But school is obviously for learning. And as we head into a new school year, there are big questions about how and what we're teaching our kids. Only one third of California students are considered proficient in state math standards. It's a problem state leaders think could be helped by the much debated new math guidelines approved this summer. The framework's aimed at making math more accessible to all kids and hopefully help struggling students, especially Black and Latino kids, excel. But critics worry that the framework, which will help guide the textbook publishers and school districts that make curriculum, are too abstract, too focused on social justice, and not focused enough on the building blocks of math. They also worry that they could hold back more advanced students. We're going to talk to some of the people who helped craft this framework and those who pushed back against earlier and current versions. And we, of course, want to hear from you this hour. But here to start us off first is Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the California State Board of Education and president of the Learning Policy Institute. Linda, thanks so much for taking the time. Yes, I am. I was muted. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. All right. Well, um, I know you're a busy person, so I really do appreciate it. And I wanted to start really basic here. Just what are math standards when we talk about this for a state as large as California? I mean, it's not the actual curriculum, correct? What what are we talking about here? (laughs) We're talking about a curriculum framework. The math standards that we adopted and most other states adopted some years ago are called the Common Core State Standards. Those have not changed. They are exactly as they were. Uh, But then we translate those standards into something called curriculum framework, which talks about how to teach the 
uh, standards effectively. And then that gets translated into curriculum materials, textbooks, and other things. So it's the curriculum framework that we have just approved. Is it necessary to do this? I think, is it supposed to be once every eight or 10 years? I mean, why do we rethink this whole framework so often? And I'm thinking about this at a time when, you know, we're, we have a lot of other challenges in education, teacher shortages, funding <laughs> problems, like, it, it seems like a lot to do every decade or so. <laughs> and it by law, we do uh, refresh all of the curriculum frameworks in every subject area about every seven or eight years. Uh, that's common in countries around the world. Uh, you know, knowledge evolves and learning about teaching methods evolves. And that's why people take another look at how to do the teaching. As you noted, uh, performance in math uh, in California is relatively low and we are below the average in, uh, of other states in math. And the United States is well below the international average uh, in test scores in mathematics. Uh, the way we teach math here is different than high achieving countries. Uh, and we have been less successful in getting lots of people well-educated in math. Well, that leads to a kind of uh, sort of obvious question, which is, then why don't we do what other countries do? I mean, it's 2023. It, it, honestly, as somebody who's not deeply involved in curriculum, I was kind of surprised to know there's so much debate at, in this day and age about how to teach something that's so basic to our educational system. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. And um, in fact, this framework is based on what we've learned from the practices in successful countries and other states that are more successful and in the classrooms of teachers who've been more successful. So uh, we are, in fact, trying to take those lessons. Uh, that is why um, the standards are organized. They're all the same standards um, that students will encounter. There's nothing missing from the framework, but they're organized around bigger ideas, things like number sense, ratio, and proportion instead of disconnected ideas, more integrated, uh, more connected to the real world, uh, and using data from real world con context so that we can see how math is meaningful. Uh, and much more guidance on how to get many more students to advance mathematics. Because we have this idea in the United States that either you have a math brain or you don't. Uh, you know, and you'll hear people say, I'm not a math person. Um, and we've persuaded many people that they're not math people because of the way we've taught it and the assumption that somehow uh, it just depends on what you bring to the table. We know a lot about how to teach effectively, uh, and um, that is, in fact, what's going to allow um, both high-achieving students to continue to achieve uh, at high levels and at higher levels, as well as ensuring that many more students get to advanced math. All right. Well, I know Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the State Board of Education, we only have you for the first half of our show. So I do want to invite our listeners in. Do you, are you a math educator? Are you a parent? What questions do you have or what thoughts do you have about this new framework? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. You can also email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED forum. Uh, so, Lindy, I mean, you mentioned that this is aimed at really improving our, quite frankly, pretty dismal uh, achievement, you know, scores in math. Can you talk about, like, like, give us the pitch. What are these guidelines? What What is different about them? Um, how do they feel different than the last set? 
Uh, well, I wasn't uh, on the Board of Education when the last set was uh, adopted, so I'm not going to speak to those. But what's certainly new about this or, or more um, emphasized is this idea that uh, mathematics should be taught in ways that are meaningful, that where the ideas are connected to each other, where students have an opportunity to inquire and investigate problems uh, and show each other different ways of thinking about the math as the teacher is also supporting them uh, getting to the kinds of um, generalizations, which we call algorithms that apply across. In, in old math, many people can relate to this. You, you were taught often, you know, here's a type of problem, here's the thing you do, you know, cross out the one digit and carry it to the next, you know, <laughs> column. And so you have these uh, sort of tools to use, but a lot of people didn't deeply understand what they were doing in math and therefore they couldn't advance uh, to higher levels of math thinking. And this is both setting a strong foundation and also ensuring that students learn their math facts and, um, you know, do the things that they need to become fluent uh, with things like uh, the basic operations. Yeah. I mean, we're, ta we, we're talking, obviously, about students who are struggling with math, and that's incredibly important. But I know some of the criticism has been that this could potentially hold back more advanced learners. Um, there's been a big debate uh, as to whether Algebra 1 should be, you know, taught in eighth grade or pushed to ninth grade, whether data science should be used as an alternative to Algebra 2 um, when we talk about college prep courses. Where did those conversations land? Because I know this was a really iterative process with a lot of revisions. Yes, it was. And in early drafts of the uh, framework, which started four years ago, long before it comes to the state board, there's a very big process of teachers giving advice and writers, you know, writing things up and then uh, drafts going out for public comment and, you know, getting revised and so on. So that's been going on long before it got to us. And in an early draft, it did suggest that uh, students should be kept together. Uh, for as long as possible, uh, and it discouraged uh, what was what's known as acceleration in grade eight, um, in part because California did that once before and had very um, unfortunate outcomes for a lot of students. Uh, wasn't done very well. Uh, by the time uh, we got public comment on that, of course, one of the key issues is that if you don't start algebra one or math one in a grade in grade eight. It's hard to get to calculus by the end of high school. And that's very important. And that is the traditional sequence that we have. So the final version of the uh, framework does encourage when kids are ready for it, that they start the sequence in middle school. It could be that some schools will do that for uh, a few kids. Some will do it for all kids um, if they are ready. But we also show um, and, we, and we provide examples of how to do that more successfully. Uh, in from studies that were done in other states where uh, they really prepared kids well with the curriculum and the teaching methods that they needed, which we didn't do in California before. But we also show how to keep kids accelerating throughout the years. And if somebody starts algebra, math one in ninth grade, there are still ways for them to get to advanced mathematics. Uh, and we propose another uh, group of experts as well, to look at the high school curriculum, which in many countries, first of all, it's not algebra, geometry, algebra two in any high achieving country. It's uh, an integrated sequence of math, and they organize it in a way that's more efficient. Yeah. So that's another next step 
to allow many more kids to get to higher levels of math. Well, you mentioned keeping kids together. I think in the educational community, this is a process known as tracking versus not tracking, right? Like, do you put kids on a track to say, oh, you're a high achiever, we're going to keep you in these advanced classes, or you're a middle or lower achiever? I just thinking about my own kids school, it like I understand the argument for keeping all the kids together in one classroom. But that seems to be a question of resources, not just curriculum. I mean, it feels to me like a lot of the conversation we're having about these standards and we're going to have this hour almost go beyond the purview of what's in a book. Like if you don't have enough staff to support all the kids, can you actually teach this stuff? <laughs> Well, I think you're really right to raise the question of resources more generally, because one piece of this is the curriculum, but another piece is what teachers know and are able to do. Uh, and we have to have teachers well-trained for this. So we're going to be bringing these math standards into teacher education. We have to solve our teacher shortages so that everyone who comes in is fully prepared. So we've got a billion dollars on the table to bring people into teaching in this state. Uh, you've got to also be sure that you've got uh, the kinds of um, resources and materials, including these days computers for every child, because so much of what we're working with is, you know, becoming more and more technological. Uh, and then we've also funded summer school in most districts, which means that kids can continue to learn during the summer and not fall behind. So all of those things are also going to matter a great deal for the implementation of the framework. We're talking with Linda Darling-Hammond. She's president of the California State Board of Education, and we're discussing the new state math standards approved this summer. We want to hear from you. Are you a math educator? Do you have thoughts on the new framework? Or are you a parent? Do you have questions about how this will impact your kids' learning? How has math instruction benefited you or your child? Were you ever told that you're not a math person? You can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also email us, forum at KQED, or find us on social media at KQED Forum. And after the break, we'll have a few more minutes with Linda and be joined by some other education experts who have thoughts on this. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. Marisa Lagos in for Lexus Magical. We are talking today about California's newly adopted guidelines for teaching math. Here with us is Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the California State Board of Education. Um, and Linda, before we bring in some other guests and callers, I do want to hit on one other um, kind of big area of debate here, which is this question of kind of incorporating social justice content into math. Um, you know, one of the examples I heard was, you know, that if you're teaching kids to think about, you know, if you're teaching kids math, um, you want to make it applicable to them. So maybe you study an environmental justice issue in their own neighborhood, um, things like that to, to bring things, uh, social, social, cultural, racist, you know, questions of the world around them into the math curriculum. Um, Explain the reasoning for that and then maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the pushback against it. Like, why is this why do we think this is necessary to be happening in a math setting? Well, first of all, let me just say that the math that's in the math framework is the math that's in the Common Core Standards. There's no, you know, um, some people have gotten the idea that somehow we're replacing the math with something else. Uh, The framework does not propose that. It talks about social justice in two ways. One is that students should see themselves in the curriculum and feel that they belong in the math community. For many, many years, you know, mathematics was the purview of white males who uh, were not very receptive. There was not a receptivity for women. Uh, I experienced that myself uh, in my own education uh, or for um, people of color and in too many schools in California, uh, in particular, uh, many schools were segregating English learners, for example, into a lower track curriculum that prevented them from getting to uh, higher level math. So part of the social justice is that kids see themselves as belonging in math. That may be a, partly be by the way that you represent uh, who the mathematicians are that you are uh putting in posters on the wall, what's in the Mm -hmm. curriculum, the kinds of experiences or the kinds of uh, settings in which problems emerge. So, you know, we often get these math problems like, you know, a train starts at this time from one place and from, you know, at another time from another place and when do they cross or, or there are, you know, a variety of kinds of settings for the problems. Uh, when settings are closer, when the context of the problems with the same math is closer to kids' experiences, uh, they are more able to get interested and motivated uh, to see math as applicable to them and then to work on the same math to do the problems. So that's really where that element of the framework comes from. I mean, they need the building blocks first in order to apply it though, right? Are we are we talking about involving this kind of sort of framing as early as kindergarten and first grade? Or is this something we're thinking about with, with slightly older kids? Well, math is all around us. So math is always meaningful if we make it meaningful, right? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's uh, everything around you that you can count. There are ways that you can see how things relate to each other, what the patterns are. So it begins very early. I remember a class I saw, which was actually a fourth grade class, um, and they were learning things like mean, median, and mode. And you might have learned those by memorizing those terms and their definitions 
at some point, probably much later than fourth grade. But these kids measured the heights of all the their colleagues and recorded them and created a data display, did the same thing for their kindergarten buddies that they read to every day. Uh, and then they calculated from a meaningful situation in which they could see themselves uh, the mean, median, and mode, looked at how outliers affected the distribution and those different statistics. That's just a way of making math applicable yeah. and exciting that everyone can learn more fully from. All right. We have a caller I want to bring in, Keith from Guerneville. Keith, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just curious if um, the plan at all is to change when algebra is taught from eighth grade to ninth grade. Um, how that might intersect with the recent law where community college at the community college level anyway, um, remedial math is no longer available. Great question. Thanks, Keith. Appreciate it. Linda? Well, so, yeah. So the decision about when to offer Algebra 1 or Math 1, which are the two pathways that kids can take, um, is a local decision. That is not a state decision. Mm. The framework gives the pros and cons of, of doing things in a variety of ways. The new Common Core Standards, grade six, seven, and eight math is very much deeper than what those grade levels used to be and include a lot of algebra in the eighth grade sequence. But people who want to uh, accelerate to start Algebra 1 or Math 1 in 8th grade can build a curriculum that allows that to happen, or they can choose to uh, have everyone start those subjects in ninth grade. Either way, they can meet the uh, the standards by being well-taught because the remedial math uh, requirements uh, that used to exist in the community college uh, were because people hadn't been adequately taught the basic, you know, algebra, geometry, trig, or math one, two, and three to begin with. There's still time uh, for that to occur in high school. And the real question is what the teaching strategies are that get used in those classes. We're talking about California's newly adopted guidelines for teaching math with president of the California State Board of Education, Linda Darling-Hammond. I also want to bring in Kendall Brown, executive director of California Mathematics Project statewide office at UCLA, which consulted on the new framework. Kendall, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. And also with us, Brian Conrad, professor of mathematics and director of undergraduate studies in math at Stanford University. Brian, we appreciate your time as well. Pleasure to be here. So, Brian, I, I do want to go to you because you have been one of the critics who has weighed in on these very long standards with your own very long comments. I will admit I didn't have time to read all of it. But I, I want to get your reaction to some of what we've been hearing in terms of, you know, the, the question of remedial math and algebra and also, obviously, the social justice standards. Um, what are your thoughts about what you're hearing from Linda? Because a lot of this feels like it makes sense, right, that we should apply what kids are seeing in their world to how they're learning? Well, certainly it's the case that when kids are shown meaningful context for what they're learning, then they'll be more motivated. I mean, the certain, how to put it, social justice is a context, environmental science, polling, and so on is one context where math is used. There are zillions of ways in which math is used. And putting the focus in one particular direction doesn't necessarily address the broader range of ways in which kids can engage with mathematics, whether it's through video games, household budgets, recommender systems, many other ways 
There are numerous ways in which kids can see the vitality and relevance of the standard curriculum. It doesn't have to be specifically through a social justice lens only. Yeah. Linda, I know we have to let you go in just a minute. I'm curious what success looks like for these this framework and, and what's the timeline here? I mean, this is just the framework. I assume this won't hit bookshelves, so to speak, or classrooms for, a, for another year or so. That's right. Um, and then let me just uh, comment and, and thank um, Professor Conrad for all of his comments and for being on the show and, and also Kendall uh, Brown, uh, both very helpful to this process. Um, success will look like, uh, you know, the, the, for, to a great extent, the development of thoughtful materials and the development of well-prepared teachers uh, who can use the materials in the classroom uh, to excite and enthuse students about math and to teach them uh, deeply and well. The process includes right now getting the edits done. We had some things that needed to be done after the board meeting. That'll take another month or so. They'll get posted. Uh, people are already beginning to, to look at what some of the shifts may be, but we will have a whole year of a materials review process to make recommendations to the field about materials to use to um, teach the standards. Uh, and then we've got a, a, a process uh, by which the Teacher Credentialing Commission will bring them into the expectations for pre-service teaching, preparation, and lots and lots of professional development. So there's a very um, substantial set of activities that will follow this moment. Uh, but I think that people will begin to see some of the uh, influence of the framework uh, probably in the next school year. That's Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the California State Board of Education and president of the Learning Policy Institute. We really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I want to read some listener comments and have our other guests respond. One listener writes the description, the guest speaker of how math is taught with the new standards, large connected concepts. Sounds like how I was taught to teach math in the credential program at UC Berkeley in 1987. Ask most longtime teachers and they'll say that's the way we used to do it and it worked. And another listener says, I definitely grew up thinking I wasn't a math person. It was always taught, like, here's some numbers and what to do with them. Only when I went to college and started looking at real world problems did I understand why mathematical thinking is powerful. I do think students need to think backwards from problems to the thinking. And Matthew asks, what, how, I'm wondering how... The algebra hurdle is being addressed in the new framework. I taught math candidates at UC Davis for over 20 years. Over the years, student teachers complain about the inability of students to grasp basic concepts and their relevance to daily life. I never had to use the quadric quadratic equation in real life as an academic. How will math education be rethought to address the fact that two-thirds of students will never go to a four-year degree program? What is basic math literacy for a citizen in California? Uh, Kendall Brown, um, what's your thoughts on that question? Um, what does math literacy mean? Yeah. For, well, I think people need to be able to use mathematics to solve uh, their whatever uh, everyday problems that um, arise in whether it's their daily life, their work life, um, you know, whatever, whenever, when and when and whenever they need math, they should be able to call upon whatever math yeah. skills that they need. You know, I come from the perspective that math is a human endeavor. Math was invented by humans as a necessity to help make sense of their world, to, you know, engage in commerce, to, you know, build, to do whatever, right? And so 
the the part of the problem is there's a huge disconnect between the math that people use every day in their lives and what is considered math and that's what's taught in schools right so yeah. you know yeah i mean sticking with you for a second kendall i brought up at the top with linda like this question of i i understand why these have been so hotly debated and clearly it's very important but in itself, curriculum doesn't teach kids, right? You need teachers and resources. And we're talking about these massive racial and social disparities we have. Are you hopeful that these can help bridge that gap? Um, and and why, if, you know, if, if we live in a time where, like, in my own kids' school, there's, like, we can't hire a credentialed math teacher for the middle school right now. There's just, mm-hmm. we can't find one. Yeah, the, you know, that that is a huge problem. But... You know, I think what the what the framework is speaking to is broadening forms of participation in mathematics classrooms. You know, when I came up, the traditional form of instruction in a math class was lecture. It was about ro- memorization and drill and practice. And what we're saying is that we need to, you know, and there are some students who thrive being taught like that. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of students, they don't. And they need more. I think students gain more when, in addition to lecture, that they are able to engage in explorations and investigations. They're able to have conversations with one another, engage in discourse and dialogue around the mathematics that they're learning, right? I think that would bring a lot more people into mathematics than just the simple one format of instruction, right? I mean, Brian Conrad, that seems rational. What are your concerns, though? Is it that we're turning away from the basic building blocks here, you know, and and sort of replacing it instead of supplementing that with this social justice and kind of broader cultural lens? Well, there are are really a number of very different uh, aspects to the situation. There's one side of, you know, preparing students for certain kinds of college degrees and future jobs. There's a separate issue about what do you want as the minimum standards for, for the high schools. Now, of course, Kendall is completely correct that we want students to be very engaged in the material and to see a lot of relevance for it. Um, but for example, in the chapter of the framework on the guidance to the publishers, there's unfortunately very little that's said to them to emphasize the urgent need for them to give a lot more contemporary relevance to the material that's being covered in the content standards. So is there, I mean, I, I noted that you've, you've like very, I think, fastidiously gone through and commented and, and as many people have, um, when you look at what was ultimately approved, is there one overarching challenge that you're still worried about? Or are we talking about really in like the nitty gritty details here? Well, I mean, there are a variety of concerns and some some of which may well be addressed by the ultimate final version that's disseminated to the schools. But just to give one concrete example, if we take the topic of data science on which this document does spend uh, a lot of its time, um, it's not necessarily so widely known among the public. Like, what exactly does data science mean? And there's this exciting new career, but what math is relevant to preparing for that? And The document, in my opinion, is sort of a a lost opportunity for providing clearer guidance to parents, teachers, and districts about what data science exactly is and how it connects to the actual content standards. Uh, There's a lot of room for helping to better inform the public about the connection between the high school math curriculum and that field, for example. 
That's Brian Conrad. He's a professor of mathematics and director of undergraduate studies in math at Stanford. We're also here with Kendall Brown, executive director of the California Mathematics Project statewide office at UCLA. And I want to bring in another caller, AJ in San Mateo. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, AJ. Yeah, I. Uh, so thanks for uh, uh, hosting this conversation. I think it's super relevant right now, given what's happening uh, with AI and machine learning and how much of the, you know, how much of complicated uh, cognitive tasks are being taken away by computers. Um, I think the, the bar just got raised, even though we just caught up on on the challenges of the math curriculum. I think the bar just got raised again uh, because of what's happening with AI and machine learning and how much of work is going to get offloaded to computers and the need for humans to be even more creative and good problem solvers has just gone up. I do think that there is a huge opportunity specifically in high school students to spark a really big interest in math. There are so many opportunities around us that uh, I hope we can leverage. As an example, uh, we don't contextualize math for high school students. We don't talk about, hey, let's go understand why Leticia has more Instagram followers than, you know, uh, someone else. Let's study that phenomenon. Or let's study the phenomenon, you know, hey, so-and-so made a lot of money on a Tesla stock. What's going on over there? And there are so many contextual opportunities uh, where you can spark interest in high school students and make them integrative problem solvers by combining a lot of math concepts, uh, I think we can we can do much more. Uh, in addition, I do think that there's a need for collaboration between marketers who truly understand uh, and can contextualize what's going on in a kid's life, uh, what's top of mind, and then mathematicians to then come in and, and, and put math in that context. Uh, if marketers can, can convince kids to vape, <laughs> I think marketers can help kids uh, spark interest in math. Thanks, AJ. I really appreciate that perspective. We're getting a lot of calls and comments. Um, Noel tweets, I'm one of those left behind by the way math was taught and barely passed math classes. This limited my major and career choices. Another listener says, the problem is these social justice examples will take will involve lots of exposition, which takes time away from teaching the math itself. And those examples don't really contain all that much of the required math. So something will be taken away. We are talking about California's newly adopted guidelines for teaching math. Here with us, Kendall Brown of UCLA, executive director of the California Mathematics Project statewide office. They consulted on the new framework. And Brian Conrad, a professor of mathematics and director of undergraduate studies in math at Stanford University. He has spent a lot of time looking at and critiquing these standards as well. Earlier, we had Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the State Board of Education. We'll be right back, uh, but you can still give us a call or send us a comment. We're at 866-733-6786. You can find us uh, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. We'll be right back after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum, Marisa Lagos, and for Alexis Madrigal. We're talking math about the California new math standards, which were approved this summer. And I have a question I would love to throw to both of my uh, guests here. Um, Tim writes, I am a tech-oriented person. I have worked for JPL. I have a graduate degree in astrophysics. And frankly, the math I've used in my work as well as my life has been much more oriented towards statistics and data science than it ever was toward calculus. What would it take to make it so that our entire mathematical education system no longer points exclusively at calculus as the pinnacle of achievement. Um, uh, Brian Conrad, what do you think about that question? I mean, should should we so, be think, rethinking this? <laughs> so there, there are really two separate issues here. First of all, of course, there's an entire industry around what students do to try to look good in college applications. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that's kind of beyond the scope of this discussion. Um, but just to take this specific example that was brought up, if somebody wants to get a degree, an undergraduate degree in data science, they have to be ready to learn calculus and often multivariable calculus early in college. Um, and and so it's a, it's a very complicated issue. The way in which some of these math topics are connected certainly can and should be seen at the high school level, the foundational algebra skills in the high school curriculum are absolutely essential for doing real work in data science and any more advanced work in statistics often involves ideas from calculus. There are definitely ways in which we could surely infuse examples from data science as great motivation in a contemporary lens for a lot of the standard material. But the fact is that calculus is the underlying foundation for a huge range of mathematical applications. Mm. And so it's not going to disappear as something that is, frankly, quite valuable. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, many of these things rest on ideas from calculus. So it's not an obsolete topic by any stretch of the imagination. Absolutely. Kendall Brown, your thoughts? So, you know, um, I agree that if someone is planning on going into a STEM major, that it's important that it's uh, it's much more to their advantage to take calculus and uh, and, you know, uh, advanced math in that regard. But for the many people who might major in the arts or in journalism or sociology, uh, statistics might be a much more uh, viable pathway But I'd also like to kind of respond to some of the um, uh, calls that came in earlier Mm -hmm. or even some of the comments. You know, this whole idea of social justice sometimes gets uh, enveloped in this idea of just a real world practical example. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a topic that's dealing with uh, an issue of like the criminal justice system or something like that. It can just be something real world that uh, students can relate to. I recently saw an amazing lesson in San Jose where the students were using a map that showed uh, each individual high school and uh, their SAT score, and then within the census tract, what the median household income was, the level of education. And so they were able to compare 
SAT scores with uh, socio, uh, sociological information and to try to make some kind of connections that led to them plotting points, graphing a linear equation, coming up with the equation of best fit. But it was something that was interesting to them. They looked at the data for their own school and then looked at schools within their uh, region. And it was something that was motivating for them that brought them into the mathematics. And there were so many connections to other uh, mathematical areas that can be made by engaging students in that way. Absolutely. And then another, uh, I don't know if it was uh, somebody who emailed in, raised this whole issue of math trauma. And there are a lot of students and a lot of adults uh, walking around these days with math trauma. What we've done to them in math classrooms have traumatized them to math. And so part of some of the work that we're doing as K-12 educators is trying to undo some of that math trauma to reinvigorate and return students onto math so they, they would want to pursue uh, STEM fields, STEM careers, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I want to bring in a couple more callers. Um, Morgan in San Francisco, go ahead. Good morning. Uh, this conversation is still, I mean, I've been a high school math educator for about 18 years, by the way. Thank um, you. This conversation <laughs> started with, you're welcome, uh, this conversation started with uh, a comparison of the U.S. to other countries in California, other states. My understanding is that those other countries that post higher math scores than us frequently aggregated over a student's uh, whole education spend massively more time on math between longer school days, longer school years, uh, homework, extracurriculars, and just more prioritization of math during the school day. Um, it feels like having this conversation about changing what we teach while it's important and valuable is sort of like having a conversation about becoming an athlete by exercising differently, but what we should be talking about is exercising more. So is there anything in the framework or any conversation about increasing the total amount of time our students spend on math by the time they graduate high school? Great question. Thank you, Morgan. Uh, anyone want to take that? Brian? Well, there's nothing specifically about um, that issue. It's more about, you know, what and how we teach math, right? But um, yeah, I would agree that, um, you know, when it's it's difficult when you're making these international comparisons. We also have to understand that in other countries, they weed children out at different points in the system, right? In the United States, we've made a commitment to educate whoever walks through the door, right? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes we have a lot more um, diversity within a classroom in terms of uh, background and experience and, you know, identity around mathematics that in a lot of countries they're not dealing with some of those, as many of those uh, differences. Right? Yeah. Uh, Brian Conrad, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I do agree completely that with what Kendall was saying, that the comparisons to other countries are somewhat problematic because the, the funding structure, the teacher training, the socioeconomic circumstances are really rather quite different than what we're facing in the U.S. Um, and I don't think that the uh, the comparisons with those places is going to necessarily be so productive, whereas, of course, we could try to look at other places within the U.S. Mm -hmm. that have, have, have had more success and try to emulate what's being done there. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time but, on but this. I don't but, think that, but that particular CMF document doesn't, you know, it mentions what's going on in other countries, but it's just mentioned in passing. There's nothing substantive that's done with it within the document. Yeah. I mean, Brian, though, like, what do you think... 
we're missing here? What would you like to see happen with math, math education? Like I mentioned earlier, you know, the, well, what would the be broader great? What issues. Would, <laughs> what would be great, would, as I was kind of mentioning before, and I think the caller AJ highlighted this point, about doing a lot more to press the publishers to provide teachers with far better material to help it to be more engaging with kids, enable people to see the contemporary relevance of the topics that are being taught. Um, so these these uh, subjects, whether it's in algebra or geometry or functions and so on, these really are the foundation, not just for STEM careers. If you want to get a degree in economics, other fields like marketing that are becoming very quantitative, helping kids and data science does provide this wealth of examples. There should be much more pressure put on the publishers to give teachers better material, helping students to see that the foundations, which frankly have not changed and are not going to change, just the basic language for quantitative, scientific and technical work, really can be uh, seen in a much more engaging way. Absolutely. That's what needs to be done. All right, Chris in Santa Clara. Chris, go ahead. Great, thanks. And Dr. Conrad in particular, I appreciate your analyses. Um, I wanted to share that, you know, statistically right now within the California State University system statewide, it's 47.7% Latino enrollment and graduation. Within the UC system, whites have now fallen to below 20% of total enrollment statewide because Asians and Latinos and Latinos for the first time now have passed Asian Americans within the UC system statewide. So our brown students are crushing it in a state without affirmative action with the math framework we had before. And if we're talking about who's succeeding and who's not, who has not been succeeding under the previous math situation, we're white people. And I think it's exciting. We actually have now have our brown Latino heritage students are the most proficient in California. But we're not having that's not part of today's narrative. Uh, And, you know, and and I think and I think with Dr. Brown, also just my my little comment, I guess, African-Americans, I think they appear to be continuing to meet their percentage of the population in California with with a slight standard deviation. So about five percent of the kids are African-American between four and six percent of the kids are enrolled in the CSU and UC system. Seems to me within, you know, at least pretty close. So I don't understand where the crisis is. To me, it looks like this is all about people being scared to acknowledge that whites are falling off the they they can't keep up and so things need to change as opposed to celebrating what it is that we're actually achieving thanks chris i appreciate the call i mean kendall brown how do we uh square that with the dismal results in k-12 schools for black and latino students yeah i'm not exactly sure i don't know what his numbers are correct on the enrollment i just checked them as we were talking but i'm not so he's talking about enrollment in um csu and uc right and the percentages within those enrolled classes of you know different demographic groups that's different though than saying the achievement gap persist overall in our school age population correct yeah because i'd like i before i can't really comment on the data that he's talking about because i haven't seen it i'm looking at the data on the other end where you know in 2022 uh only 16 percent of african-americans scored proficient and advanced uh in mathematics uh only 21 percent of uh, Hispanic or Latino students score proficient and advanced, where 69% of Asians score proficient and advanced, or uh, 48% of whites score proficient and advanced. And so, you know, that's the data I'm looking at. And, you know, that data is showing that there's a huge 
issue, um, you know, in terms of the K-12 system. Right. right? Yeah, absolutely. I want to bring in um, a caller, Bryce in San Francisco. Go ahead. Hi, guys. Uh, Thank you for this uh, conversation. Um, Math education is something that's uh, kind of near and dear to me, but for a different reason. Um, I grew up not in California, so I speak as a non-Californian here. I graduated high school in the late 90s in the South, and I was diagnosed with a learning math learning disability in my sophomore year of high school when I should have been if I on on my education track I should have been in like you know algebra two or three or whatever Mm -hmm. that that was um, just to be prepared to go to university. Um, I was in my talent slide in the social studies and the uh, language um, sector, and so I was in AP classes for those uh, subjects. But then in order to just graduate high school with basic math, uh, fortunately, um, after this diagnosis, which was, of course, caught late, um, I would go from an AP class to special ed just to get remedial basic math so that I could graduate on time with my class. Um, how do how do people with learning disabilities, which I would imagine is more than people would think or care to admit, factor into all of this? Because yeah, that's a um, great question, Bryce. You know, you know, as someone who went through it, and you know, it stunted me. I will admit, it stunted me. I love numbers; I find them fascinating. Um, you want to talk about equations? You lose <laughs> me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Well, Bryce, thanks for the call. That's a great question. And Brian Conrad, I mean, this does get kind of back to this tracking question, too. I mean, people do come at it with different sort of base level skill sets. Some people have learning disabilities. How is this uh, framework thinking about that? And should it should do you like the way it's being approached? Well, I mean, I would say that a lot of the disparities and many of the foundational uh, concerns uh, emerge in the elementary grades. And so, for example, uh, the document, I mean, it would have been nice if it said something about putting more resources, whether it's math specialists uh, or other people with, uh, you know, math expertise more into the elementary schools to help more kids reach the level that they uh, need to be at to achieve better in the middle schools and high schools. Um, but the f- primary focus of the framework uh, is more on for example, perhaps students with uh, English language challenges um, and more generally trying to get kids more engaged with math. So there's not a huge amount. I'm not sure that the framework is necessarily the place to uh, be focusing on that. Of course, admittedly, quite important issue. Yeah. On track- but, but I would also say that, you know, a, a lot of the concerns that have been raised about the framework are not really so much in the direction of, let's say, the, the social justice issue, but more about clarity on, let's say, the role in which the interaction between Algebra 2 and data science or the relevance of eighth grade Algebra 1, some things like this at the high school level, those are more of the primary concerns related to the content, what kids need for readiness for certain kinds of college degrees. Of course, there's a large part of the population which may not be planning to go to college, and then the focus of the concern would be a somewhat different conversation. Absolutely. All right. I have a lot of comments that are really good, so I want to read a few before the end of the hour. 
Sandia says, I teach middle school in San Jose as a teacher who strives to use relevant community data to bring in bite-sized lessons based on social justice at a middle school level. I'm very excited that the California Mathematics Framework supports all of this. Making data a part of everyday math lessons is something I feel will help all levels of learners. Another listener asks, when I was in California schools, I took algebra in 6th, 7th grade. My high school didn't after calculus, so I took it at the local college in 11th grade. What resources does the state provide for kids like me who will not be served by the standard path? way. Um, Kendall Brown, what's your thoughts on that? I know the obviously we're, we're talking about like all levels here, but what about kids who excel? Is there a danger of kind of not offering them the challenge that they might need? Right. And so what we've uh, the, the way that the framework has been written and what we've been really trying to do in math education is this whole idea of um, what we call low floor, high ceiling tasks. And so that allows a student at whatever level to enter the task and engage in it. But the more advanced that they are, the task is rich enough so students are able to engage at a high level. And so that's one strategy. Now, there's all the, and, and usually within the typical range of a classroom, a uh, teacher with a strong pedagogical content knowledge can pull something like that off. Now, there are always going to be those students who are extremely, the, a very small minority of students are going to be extremely advanced who need to be accelerated. I can remember when I was teaching high school, I once had a ninth grader in my pre-calculus class who was just off the charts. He ended up maxing out all of the math courses at uh, the high school by the time he was like in the 10th or 11th grade. That's rare. That was one in my entire career, right? Um, but, but and, and here's something also to consider. There's this very interesting study that was put out by WestEd uh, about 10 years ago called College Bound in Middle and High School. And they looked at course taking patterns. And one of the conclusions of that study is um, one of the worst things that you can do is put a student in algebra before they're ready because students rarely um, recover from a bad first algebra experience. It's much better to um, wait until they're ready to be successful in that class than to push them. In. And I think this, um, uh, I understand why we're trying to get so many students in eighth grade algebra because we want them, if they're taking one course a year, we want them to get to calculus if they want to major in STEM. But it's not for everybody. And we're doing, uh, so in some cases, we're doing more harm than good uh, in the, in the uh, uh, service of, you know, accelerating students yeah. and trying to push them ahead. Brian Conrad, just about 30 seconds left. What are your thoughts for more advanced students? Are you concerned? Well, the, I mean, in connection with Kendall's comment, I, I agree with him that we don't want to put everybody into eighth grade algebra one. Some people have the interest and the desire to do it. Other people don't. But... But it's really important for people to be aware that San Francisco's experience demonstrates that if you block everybody from eighth grade algebra one, then this creates tremendous workaround problems. And only the kids from parents with resources will be able to achieve to the highest level in high school in the way that they want to access the more lucrative and secure jobs of the future. We're going to have to leave it there. That was Brian Conrad, professor of mathematics at Stanford. We also had with us Kendall Brown, executive director of California Mathematics Project Statewide at UCLA. Earlier, we had Linda Darling-Hammond, president of the California State Board of Education here. Thanks, Brian and Kendall. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Stay with us.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.